All right, ladies and gentlemen, Happy New Year. Today is December 31st, 2019, and this will be the last podcast for 2019. I want to take a minute before we start today's show and say thank you. About a month ago, I really was beginning to feel like I was speaking to air. I wasn't sure if anybody was listening. I made a request. I needed some response and some feedback on how we were doing. And I need to tell you and say thank you for the flood of emails and messages and texts and communication that came in. It truly helps me get up every day and deliver a show that I believe can add value to your life. So thank you for your time and attention. Thank you for your patience in me learning how to do this and get this out there. I can't tell you how much I truly appreciate it. So I made a request of a great man who is really the master of podcasting. He's offered to come on to join us today. It's going to be a great show. I want to get right down to it, but do me a favor, stick around for after the show. I've got a couple of things I want to share with you, bring you up to speed on, and we're going to talk about what 2020 is going to look like. So without further ado, let's get this show on the way. There's no doubt that the game has changed, and we are changing with it. Welcome to Season 2, because in this season, it is all about how we become and stay operational. How we're ready for every moment of our life on and off the job. I'm your host, Jeff Bandman. Thanks for joining me, and let's get down to it. This podcast is brought to you as a part of the Operational Mindset Foundation. Our mission is to mentally, physically, and emotionally prepare you for the challenges you're going to face on and off the job. It's funded through donations, sponsorships, and our work with departments across the U.S. Get involved with us by visiting opmindset.org. That's opmindset.org. There you can find out how to bring a new level of training to your department and how to help us expand the conversation. Now, let's fire up today's episode. All right, welcome back to Mindset Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Benman, and today I have begged, pleaded, convinced, guilt-tripped, and otherwise, and probably now responsible for dinners and drinks for the rest of my life, uh, but our guest today is the man, the myth, the legend, Jordan Harbinger. Hey, and more, more myth, I think, than no, anything, dude, but thanks for you know, Don't beat yourself up. That's not allowed. Uh, you've done an exceptional job. I love listening to your show. Uh, believe it or not, not everybody knows who you are, which is unfortunate. Uh, I've run across people all the time, and I'm like, hey, I finally convinced Jordan to come on the show. And they're like, who? And I know that's hard to believe. but uh, It's easy for me to believe, <laughs> man. My, I have an infant son who doesn't give a crap who I am, right? And he never will, I think. Isn't that how uh, it is with I don't kids? Know. Like... You know, I, I don't know, because here's the funny thing. with Even with a little man this morning, right? So just turned two in November and we were getting ready to go for a walk, do whatever. And I turned around, I crossed my arms. He looked right at me and just crossed his arms. Exactly. The big grin on his face. So that, it, it, that'll okay. start, it'll yeah. start to come eventually. 
I got to tell you this. Uh, I've got I, I interview a lot of people for the Jordan Harbinger show, as you know, because you, you do listen to the show. And thank you for that. And I've got, you know, acquaintances, I should say, buddies, whatever, that are like well-known household names across at least America. And they're like, yeah, you know, I thought when I have kids, I'm going to finally be the cool dad because, <laughs> you know, super famous, super rich person that everyone, you know, kowtows to walk into a restaurant, never wait for a table, never pay for stuff half the time. And he's like, no, my kids are still like, can you drop me off at the corner? I don't want people to see that I'm with you. And like, and, and some of it's for different reasons. Like, you know, most of us, we're just going to be too nerdy to hang out with the kids. And for him, maybe it's like half nerdy, half. They don't want their friends asking questions for their dads or something like that. Like hey, your dad if during that one time or that one movie, but still it's kind of like, no matter how cool, like you can be on, we, we literally had this conversation on their yachts and they're like, yeah, and I'm like, I'm on your yacht watching the NBA playoffs on a big screen TV that comes up from like the mahogany, right. whatever the thing. And your kids are like, dead sucks. <laughs> you know, like it's, you just, you can't win no, ever. You, ever. You can't, man. I mean, it's, you know, I've got the spectrums like we were talking about 15 and a half. Uh, she splits the year with me. So I spent my 45th birthday standing in line at the DMV to get her learner's permit. Um, yeah. excited though yeah. so worth yeah. it, right i mean and you know it's coming back around that's what i'm watching they kind of especially with the girls you know my oldest now coming closer to 16 we have a whole different relationship and it's very cool to kind of see that come back around like she's excited to do stuff with me um so it does it ebbs and flows but yeah dude it doesn't matter who you are you could be the coolest guy on the face of the planet your kid's gonna still be like all right leave me alone i think that's the way yep. it goes Yep, exactly. So I he's five months old. I got a few more years. Got a before. little bit of time, man. You got a little bit on the plan. Yeah, that that first yeah. uh, that first year and a half, you're just like you just are have no idea who I am. Right. Yeah. I would say common common advice I've been given is the first ten years they'll think I'm cool, and then the next ten years they won't, and then like the in their twenties it's kind of fifty fifty, and then after age thirty again they realize I'm not a total dumbass and I actually have something to say. <laughs> Yeah, I put my own experience with my own parents like my parents are awesome. My parents don't know anything. Oh, turns out all that stuff that I thought I knew better than I was only half right. OK, fine. I was 10 percent right, but I'm still going to count it because I can never let them have this one. And now that I'm 40, I'm like, oh, time is limited. You know, just enjoy it. But I don't want to waste your listeners time with reminiscing over. Hey, I think it's you know, it's all relevant and it's all things that we uh, deal with. You know, it's like when I had Phil McKernan on and uh, even Sherry Walling and some people, you know, uh, you know, we talked about the family issue several times, especially in our community. It's like, how do I go from being fireman, cop, you know, quote unquote hero, which I hate that term, um, you know, but and then step in and be I, a dad, be like a normal dad or a normal mom. You know, uh, it's tough. Why do you hate that term? I think a lot of people in your position, they hate that. I mean, I my dad, love his hobby is like paying for policemen's meals at restaurants, which, by the way, I think is not allowed in most places. But in Detroit, in Detroit, they're like, thanks. Yeah, they're hot dog. But out here in California, they're like, I cannot do that. Please do not do that. I have to fill out paperwork when you do that. So but he loves it. And and uh, it's funny because I think a lot of people look at servicemen, firemen, cops, etc. as heroes. But yeah, I guess 
I guess it's probably uncomfortable hearing it to your face. I would, I don't know how I'd feel. It's hard to say. Yeah, right? man, it's caused a lot of conflict. It's interesting because Phil Philip has asked me to give my one last talk in February here in Boulder, um, and it's brought up a lot of stuff. And some of that is what you know we're dealing with now is like really. Now you've done this. You've done a lot of work on yourself. You've done a lot of different, you know, aspects. But I think for me, it's like I don't. That's not. It's not why I did what I did. It's I. I didn't do it for any of that, and I'm not. You know, I think part of the thing is like I laid in bed and like I want your house to burn down because I want something to go do. I want to like I want war and conflict because I want to fulfill my destiny, my job. How does that, you know, mentally conflict with and emotionally conflict with? You saying thank for my thank you for my service or you know hey I think you're a hero no dude I'm actually not because <laughs> it's not how it works inside. Uh, that's that's funny if yeah I think if people knew that firemen got excited wow look at this big ass house burning yeah. down man there's a uh, this was really expensive. This is going to be a fun one. Then probably public <laughs> perception would change yeah, a little. Well, I mean, and it's and for me, you know, old school. You got to think. You know, I started back in the early '90s. And then when I, it's like when I came back from Kosovo in 99, nobody knew what the hell was going on. Nobody knew the Serbs just invaded and committed mass atrocities in this country and the things that we dealt with, you know, it was just, it was a blank, right? I mean, it was, it's interesting to me, pre 9-11, post 9-11, you know, when I, nobody gave a shit that I was a fireman. The only people that cared that I was a firefighter was the, you know, seven-year-old kids coming in to check out the fire truck. Nobody, you know, you didn't mm -hmm. walk down the street. Rarely did anybody offer to buy your meal for you on occasion, but it was super limited and nobody was walking around saying, Hey, thank you for your service. You know, pre nine 11, it just wasn't existing. And now it's in your face always, you know, and, and I, I, I get it. You know, Mike Brown and I talked about this the other day. It's, he's got a buddy that always responds with, thank you for your support when they say that and then they get a little awkward because it's like, wait a minute, did I, do I support the war? Do I, do I agree with that? So it kind of is a throwback to them uh, in a kind way, if you will. Yeah. And, and uh, look, I think people now more than ever appreciate it just because it is in the media a lot, but I understand how the, and to bring this back to value for your listeners, I understand how your self image doing whatever you do might not match what the public sees. And that can actually cause some discomfort. And I have that not because I do anything particularly heroic, let's be clear. But people will say things like, I'll get a video from a friend and they're like, I'm at the mall and the person in line in front of me at this restaurant is listening to your show. So I started talking to them and they were like amazed that I knew you. And so I'm sending a video with this random like Chinese woman in line for dumplings. She's really excited and sort of getting all like, you know, oh my gosh, Jordan Harbinger, I'm all excited. And that makes me uncomfortable. Not because I don't enjoy it. I think it's awesome. And I think most kids up till age, whatever, 30 are probably like, if only that would ever happen to me just one time in my life. But when it actually happens, it can be highly uncomfortable because people get so excited. And, and, and there's a part of me that's like, I can never live up to that. <laughs> like, I can never live up to that. And we see our own blooper reel in our head because we were the guy that like tripped over his own foot last night because he stepped on a lego and like yelled at his kid and then felt bad about it and then like got to work late because he spilled coffee all over his crotch and didn't want to get laughed at so he had to turn around and go home and change his pants like what that's our self-image and then when other people are like wow you're so awesome it's like 
thank you, but also you have cognitive dissonance that comes into play doesn't feel comfortable. And so if you're in a service position and you feel uncomfortable when people give you those kinds of accolades, then congratulations, you're a normal human being and you're not a narcissist or just somebody who's maybe not done a ton of work accepting that kind of praise, which makes you a normal human being. So I want people to feel comfortable with that and not feel like, oh yeah, I don't like that. And that makes, that makes me even more weird for not liking praise. Something's wrong with me. That's not the case. It's always, almost always the case that when you feel awkward about somebody giving you high praise, it it just means you probably have a healthy self image. Maybe you skew a little bit more towards negative, uh, but that's okay because I think we're as humans kind of designed to do that. We have a negativity bias and it's, it's completely healthy. Man, I, you know, that's exactly, so this is perfect conversation because you know, the way I look at one, why I wanted to bring you on the show, it's like, you're the encyclopedia of knowledge now, right? You've interviewed just a massive amount of people and you've gotten a chance to really one learn a lot but but contribute a lot out there and you know for today the problem that i wanted to kind of have the conversation with you around that we that i feel like we all deal with is especially in the services we have this need to be everything to everyone all the time i understand yeah. that right so let me let me disassemble that a little you mean that if you're let's say you're a policeman you mean you've got to be a cop both when you're at home, but also when you're out with your friends, but also when you're at work naturally, but also even on your lunch hour when you're just trying to house a steak hoagie and not get any on your uniform uh, or cheesesteak and not get any on your uniform, you can't really turn it off because it's part of your identity, yeah, right? A huge component of that. There is, it's a 24-hour gig. Sure. So in every occupation has that, but you guys, and I say you guys, meaning just fire, police, sure. military, whatever, hopefully that's clear. You guys have it more because yes, I'm a broadcaster, interviewer, radio host, uh, whatever you want to call it uh, all the time, but nobody's like, oh my God, is anybody a radio host? This man's having a heart attack, right? Like <laughs> that will never happen. Someone interview his wife and see how she's feeling right now. Like that's never going to happen to me in, in no sane world will that happen. But if you're hanging out with your family on your one day off because you've been working a bunch of overtime putting out fires in California and you finally got to go to your kid's birthday party for like three hours and somebody passes out, you can't be like, look, man, I have been working a lot and that's all you. You can't do that, right? You're you're on. And if you're a police officer and your daughter brings home a sketchy looking guy, you're not like, you know, I'm just going to pack <laughs> right, these this in. Is okay. Yeah, this is okay. I you, no, I recognize the gang tattoos, but look, man, I am not on the clock. Have fun, honey. Like that's not going to happen either, not only because you're a dad, but because you're like, I know what that symbol means and that's there's no way you're leaving the house with that guy. Right? And and I'm sure that that happens all the time. And so in a way it's like with it's it's one of those with great power comes great responsibility but sometimes it's like well fine but i want to turn the responsibility off so i can play xbox damn it yeah man there's yes and there's this place where it's like i mean i years ago i'll confess a long time ago i you know when i first started in fire service i had firefighter you know plates you know tag license plates i eventually took them off i was like you know what because i don't want to stop at the accident anymore i don't want to i don't want to be this if i'm not in it on it I want to be just average person. I want to be okay to just be, you know, Jeff, 
not fireman, not, you know, military guy, not agency guy, not anything else. I just want to hang out. Uh, you know, I think yeah, that's a big problem. Uh, I can imagine because you can't, it's like never taking a day off, which I think we all know uh, uh, what that feels like as well. Just owning my own business. I know what it's like to be like, I mean, I'll sit down to a nice relaxing meal on Thanksgiving or Christmas. And I'm like, I should be answering fan mail, zeroing out my inbox, reading this book for doing some prep for the show. What do I have to do? I mean, I will literally be, I, I try not to do this when I'm holding my kid, but even sometimes it happens and I'll go, Oh man, in five minutes, I got to put them down because I really have to get back to work. And I'm like, no, I don't. It's Sunday at 1 p.m. What I need to do is put him in bed and go watch Netflix. You know, that's that's what I need to do, but I can't really turn it off. And I think for people who are in positions like what your audience and what you, the position that you're in, it's even more dangerous because if I say, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if I don't finish this book today? The answer is, well, I guess I could do it tomorrow. I just have to get up a little bit earlier and maybe listen while I'm at the gym. But if somebody says, what's the worst thing that happens if I don't stop at this accident, you start catastrophizing because you either start saying, oh my gosh, well, this could happen, this could happen, you start catastrophizing, or you just start thinking, nothing, who cares, I gotta get on with my life. But then you probably have a crisis of conscience that's like, yeah, I shouldn't think that way. What kind of horrible person drives past an accident when they have the training to stop it? So you're compelled to. Nothing's really compelling me to bust out my Kindle, right? right? Other than like a little bit of guilt that I can turn off because I realize it's a little irrational. Your guilt is maybe that person's child is in health a crisis and you don't stop because you're halfway to whole foods and your kids crying you know like what what do you what it's a different game and i don't think i don't think uh what do you call us civilians like i don't think us regular joes like understand that fully because if you're a teacher and somebody doesn't understand their math homework and they can't get a hold of you oh well you'll you'll help them out on monday but if somebody's passed out on the sidewalk you have almost like a moral obligation and it's hard to turn that off and realize that you need your own sanity. So I think a lot of people in your position, you put yourselves last, more so than most parents do, more so than most teachers, more so than most, I don't know, public servants in another position. Like the mayor of most towns is not sitting at home on the weekend and worrying about what's in the office. Um, it may be a big city, but most most of them are hanging out with their family and having turkey you're the one that has to be awake at 3 a.m. for the call. And that that level of stress is not good for you long term. And then, of course, they say, take a vacation. And you're like, I wish I freaking could. You know, I'm on vacation thinking, hope nothing ha bad happens to my friends. Even if you can put society out of your mind, you got your buddies out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, it's interesting because, like, we do. We, we leave ourselves last in line. And there's a level of expectation, I think even in relationship and friendships and et cetera, like there's this normal, like, why can't you just turn it off? Why can't you just be home right now? Why can't you, you know, you're not at work. Why can't you just leave that at work? And so that's kind of this be everything to everybody all the time that shows up. It's like, okay, so I've got this side of me that I can't turn off. It's a 24 seven deal that I have this moral, ethical, and you know emotional responsiveness too right that i just am always tuned into what's happening and then you know my wife wants me to be freed up and easy going and have fun and not care right and and not have this thing and so it's like there's this this, this ebb and flow constant conflict and i know because i've listened to some of your shows 
that have been radically helpful for me in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, the people that you've had on and just kind of beginning to dissect how I begin to create transition points or points of recovery or understand kind of how I flow from one ideal person to another ideal person in a way, right? Without then the guilt and shame and crap that goes with it. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of cognitive, well, we mentioned cognitive dissonance, but there's a lot of brain science that goes into to this, like ca catastrophizing, what's the worst thing that can happen? And you start going down the what if trail and the stakes are higher for what you guys are doing. Guys and gals, let's be clear now, there's a lot of women out there now. And I, I feel like, um, I, and you know, you're in this weird position where society will look at everything. Well, police, especially now, um, firemen, I don't know if our, if you're immune to this, but, uh, I can't, nothing comes to mind, but with police, man, now it's like you're under fire and all of you are under fire whenever there's any kind of negativity. And I, I would imagine any cop out there now, in fact, I wonder this, I'm so curious if, if police now feel like they're looked at differently by a lot of folks just because of what's been in the oh, yeah. news. And that really, it, it really sucks to hear that because the, I mean, when I was little, the police would come in your house and you'd say, Hey, do you want some coffee? And they'd be like, sure. Thank you. Now I feel like that would just never happen. Um, because there's just this more arm's length distance, at least in bigger cities, especially, um, with where the police stand. When I grew up, I didn't grow up in a small town, but they would come in and they didn't take their shoes off because you know, that's that's a little bit too much. But they would have you, you could make them tea or coffee and they would be like, thank you. Yeah, that, that's great. Now, I don't think that's allowed. And I remember recently I live in San Jose, California. We had a package stolen and the cop came in and sat down at our kitchen island and opened up his laptop and did the report. And I was like, wow, this is such a different experience than I've experienced anywhere uh, else. And even just the, the times that I've dealt with the police in other big cities, even in New York, when they come in, it's just like, you almost feel like you're at the police station. And I'm like, I didn't commit any crime. I called you guys, you know? And I remember just like feeling really intimidated and I realized, oh yeah, they have half or one, some percentage of the time, these guys walk into a house and someone tries to stab them or something, you know, like, so I got to just sort of keep that in mind, but you can't live your whole life that way. Uh, and that's just really easy for me to say as a freaking podcaster, radio guy, and you guys can't turn it off. And that takes its toll. Like there is science behind this. When you are in fight or flight mode or when you are at least in elevated stress for a long period of time, you don't uh, you, you wreak havoc on parts of your brain. Um, you age faster. Your heart uh, is obviously not as healthy as it should be. And if you're always eating on the go, those two risk factors combined are just not good lifestyle. Um, I don't want to say choices because it's it's hard to say that it's a choice, um, but they're not good lifestyle factors, I should say. And that's that's really bad for everyone around you, too. And so you're really caught between a rock and a hard well, place. And I'll add one to you, which is not only all those core factors to it, but then, and it's finally cool because that's why I think we're doing well with the podcast and we're growing significantly in this community because we can now have these conversations. And five years ago, 10 years ago, like this just, it wouldn't even be accepted, the kind of the idea of looking internally, of looking at what's going on, of, you know, emotional safety and the things that we deal with. Like when I grew up, that 
that those were not conversations that were had at all ever around you know we live in a world of suck it up shove it down slam it down deal with it and do your job and that's how a lot of us especially kind of in our upper 30s and 40s you know that's how we grew up that was the environment and it's cool for me at least to see that today we're able to have these conversations and they're listening right and people are more curious about how do i deal with this how do i transition emotionally how do i understand all these core factors right they're just kind of the task and purpose factors and then the internal factors that are in play i mean i I remember flying the episode you did with uh, Gabriel Mizraki when you guys were talking about self-development uh, and kind of going at it, right? I can't remember what the title of the episode was right offhand, uh, but I was texting you all the way through it like this is, you were spot on with it. Uh, I, I, I wish I remember Gabe and I do yeah. a lot of you know stuff together because he's just a friggin' genius with his yes. research. Uh, go no, ahead. I was just saying, like in that, I, that, that particular episode, I'm going to, find it, tag it, and put it into the show notes. Because that particular episode, you know, you went through and you talked about all the kind of the bullshit that's out there, the reality of things, you know, he did a phenomenal job in kind of breaking down a look at self-development in a way that I believe made sense to our, would make sense to our community, uh, rather than kind of this hoopla, hippy-dippy, hangout kind of stuff. You know, you were talking about some of the programs you've gone to where you just felt like totally violated in it, like get me out of here. Um, and, you know, and you were sharing some of those stories along the way that I think really resonated with me and resonates with our world because it's like, I don't, I, if there's a fear that if I become soft or soften myself, I won't be capable of doing my job as well. Yeah, and there may be some truth to that, but it, it becomes it becomes problematic because, of course, you, you wouldn't parent the same way that you police, right? Like, well, I, in theory, yeah. you should you probably not do that. Yeah, I mean, what? Who am I to tell anybody how to police? But that's the idea behind it, and and it's really really tricky to make recommendations like that because I'm sure people out there see therapists and things like that. And it's like, okay, great. Have you ever been to Iraq, Afghanistan? No. Have you ever put out a fire? Have you ever seen a burned child, you know, in your, in the parents reaction? Have you ever had someone pull a knife on you, uh, you know, while you're in a closed space and your partner is taking a leak? I, I don't know. You know, like all of these things are, it's hard to relate to. And it's, it's hard to have somebody be like, you just need to relax yeah. more. It's like, F you, right? Like, what do you talk? Sure. Tell me that while you have another sip of your latte over there, buddy. Like, yeah. sure. I just need to relax more. And then it's like, try yoga. And like, what planet? It just feels like the people giving advice to first responders in, in military. It's just they're on another planet. They're from a different planet. It's it's completely nonsensical in a lot of ways. And so it it's not it's not relatable, which makes it worse because it's like hearing some quack tell you to do something and it's like you just don't even understand my reality at all and it makes you feel more mm -hmm. isolated of course because then you think oh the help that's available is some yodel with a four-year degree who's never even left you know our city or state and has certainly never held a held a position like mine in a in a, a dirt lot like iraq or afghanistan and, and now i'm sitting here like listening to him tell me what I need to do. It's just got to be really isolating and frustrating. And that I think is just part of the problem. 
And of course you talk to other people with the same problems. It's a good support group, but you're mostly just venting as opposed to getting actionable strategies. And that, that makes me kind of sad to hear because I think it's no surprise we rely on you to, to do your jobs, to have a functioning society where I can sit here and sip my latte and dole out unqualified advice, right? Yeah. I mean, I used to have this statement where it's like, if I went to see somebody, went down to sit with a psych or whatever, I'm like, listen, if I'm actually honest with you, if I actually share with you what you want me to share with you, you're going to have PTSD by the time we're done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to be fucked up. Like, like, yeah. and, and then I'm going to, and the problem is like, we live in a world or the way our brains work. It says, so there's this whole world for me now kind of uncovering, which is this understanding of how to bring calm to chaos. All right, we're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by Brute Force Training. When you're ready to be in the physical condition necessary to meet the rigors, demands, and expectations of your profession, then check out the team over at BruteForceTraining.com and pick up their gear. I promise you, it will put you in the condition you need to be in for this moment and the next. You can use the discount code OPMINDSET, that's OPMINDSET, and the team will take a little bit off the top for you. Now, always remember, train accordingly. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, so we're back, and, you know, here's where we kind of left off when we were talking. You were, you were, we were kind of exploring this understanding from the law enforcement aspect where, you know, you're sharing, you know, cops used to be able to come in, sit down, have a cup of coffee, you know, actually converse with you where today it's like 24 seven, always on edge. And it's this, you know, it was interesting as we're going, because I've been looking at this quite a bit. It's like this collapse of, of stress between the public and the providers, if you will. Right. So it's like this, there's this vicious circle that's happening. I think now that's been happening over the last several years where, you know, the police are a little bit more under fire, being watched, being, you know, putting them on edge, the public's on edge about the police. It's like this high state of conflict where somebody's got to run in the middle and be like, okay, can everybody just settle down for a second and take a breath and kind of hit the reset button? I do see that happening significantly. Yeah, I can imagine that there's not a whole lot of resources out there. I mean, it's like there are and there aren't. And everyone complains about things like the VA. I don't really know much about that, but I do know that no matter how many resources are out there, it can be really tough when you go home and your friends and neighbors are kind of oblivious. You almost maybe feel like you're living a secret life. Maybe mm -hmm. you are living a secret life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which my neighbor, my neighbor yeah. in Florida for years was like, dude, what do you do? Because you're like disappear for several weeks and then you just play golf when you're home and you work in your garage. Like, I don't understand what you do. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, it's been an interesting conversation so far because we've kind of explored where, for us, there's not a, the the resources are limited, and in the way that people understand or give us, and I'll say us from the community, the opportunity to express ourselves fully and actually deal with some of the struggles that we face, and have an open, honest conversation or dialogue without freaking people out. And I was, you know, we were talking about if I said if if I sat down with the psych and be like, you know, you'd have PTSD by the time we're done. The, the problem is if I lay out what I actually feel inside, I'm going to hit all the trigger words. You know what I mean? They're going to be like, you know, well, I got to call somebody. I got to, we got to fix this. This guy's, you know, suicidal or this guy's, you know, homicidal or whatever. It's like, no, this is just my life. This is just the way I operate. 
Yeah, I, I think that there's probably a, a bit of what would you even call this? Like a protective shell that you, everyone's in your position is able to put on. But I don't. Is that healthy? That's the question, right? Is right. that something that is healthy? And I'm not totally sure that it is. I, I think maybe it serves a purpose, but I think that it's also probably there's probably a problem that I, I don't think most people can switch it on or and switch it off. I think that's the biggest issue, right? That's the biggest problem is it's hard to turn it off than when you're at your daughter's graduation. Yes. It's just still there. And so, yes, it sort of protects you, but is that something that you actually, is that healthy for you mentally? <laughs> yeah. Does know. it actually work for you long-term? I mean, it is, it's like we've, you know, I, I re relate it back to when I was a kid, when I was, you know, three or four or five, now my mom would always laugh at me because there's two things I played growing up, fireman and army, like that was it. And I had to put on blue corduroys to play fireman and then go change into brown corduroys if I wanted to play army. Like I had to be in context, if you will, right? Even as a kid. And I think I've looked at that skill right now. If I take that as a skill set how do I put on when I put on my uniform or when I put something on, it's like, okay, here's where I am. This is who I am for this period in time. And when I take it off, I'm no longer that right now. I am transitioning into husband, wife, mom, dad, son, brother, friend, hanging out or whatever it might be. Yeah. That's gotta be tricky and also mentally taxing. Oh. And I think that's very problematic because I don't think a lot, I don't think a lot of people really know that, including the people that are doing this, you know, that are in your position, know that there is such a cognitive cost, a psychological cost to making that switch. It's not just leave it at home. It, right. You're, shoving it down it's like eating brussels sprouts if you don't like those right you're you're cramming it in there and it wants to pop back out and it's all you're devoting cognitive bandwidth brain power to keeping it from popping out and that's unhealthy because it's stressful for you it's taxing for you the yeah, whole time it's wearing it's wearing i mean i think that's where i look now at 45 exhausted most times right mm -hmm. if you actually if you if i'm honest with myself and with the people around me it's like, I'm just worn out. Yeah, I can imagine. It, and you're not going to rest well if you're consistently working on me. I, I don't want to. I'm trying not to just, talk out of the ass here. No, if just yeah, say thoughts, man. On pushing something down, you're not going to have. It, let's say you spend 10% of your cognitive bandwidth trying to push it down. 90% of you is there. So being present is tough. Um, focusing on self-care is like last priority because you're just trying not to screw up the family party by being a weirdo or whatever, right? There's all kinds of stuff that that happens as a result of that that, that is invisible. And that's that's the problem. That's what's unhealthy. It's invisible. It's That's what makes it insidious. That's the word I'm looking for. It's insidious. You don't see it coming because you think everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, and then you're just like, why the hell am I tired constantly? Mm -hmm. How I can't relax and then it just they throw a label on it like oh it's part of your PTSD or it's like residual trauma and it's like yeah but the real truth is that you you can't relax you're, you're not focused you're constantly monitoring your surroundings even though you're in your own living room like that's super unhealthy and I don't I don't think 
maybe it doesn't affect everybody, but certainly people that have seen combat or conflict or people that are on the street every day, you know, like that type of stuff that doesn't just go away. And you even see it when, when uh, police officers and military are retired, just, it just doesn't go away. And I think because as an evolutionary strategy, the people that survived to, to reproduce were the people that didn't shut that stuff down so easily or forget it so easily, right? They were constantly vigilant. I, I don't think some Roman soldier really necessarily retired and, and lived out the rest of his years. They probably were, I don't know, back then dead at 30 max. Yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, you, you lose all value. I mean, a sense of tribe goes away, you lose all value. And that's where I've really looked at it to say, and you, you brought up an interesting point where there are a lot of labels that go with us, right? It's, oh, that's just PTSD or, oh, you must have done something or you must have seen something. It's like, no, it's just this, this constant inability to transition effectively to kind of settle myself and to turn it off, right? To bring the volume switch down a little bit. Um, you know, that's been the interesting exploration for me now, understanding kind of the biological factors that go into play uh, deep inside in the way we are trained and developed. And then of course, you know, childhood trauma and everything else that comes into play for us. We just aren't given the tool to ebb and flow in this life that we've chosen and yeah, it's more, it's more exhaustion. It's more, you know, self-driven stuff than it is any incident or seeing something or participating in something. Cause a greater population, you know, I chose to put on a uniform. I chose to go to combat or I chose to run in that burning building or I, I choose to save lives. I choose to do these things. And going back to kind of where we started, it's like when you, when you call me a hero or when you elevate me, it almost dismisses what I do in a way. Does that make sense to you? I mean, what do you think about that? Um, can you clarify that a little? I need to make sure I know what you're. Yeah. So, so for instance, you know, we talked about this internal struggle between like not wanting to be called a hero or not wanting to be acknowledged so much, you know, cause for me, I'm laying in bed, hoping your house burns down or, you know, I want to go to the next thing. I want to call out on my SWAT team. I want to do these things. I want violence to occur out there in the world. And when you then call me a hero or you elevate me because of what I've chosen to do, that creates that separation, right? Internally from kind of the external view of who I am. But in doing that, also what I'm trying to struggle and balance with is like the acceptance of myself and myself in the, my place in society. It's, I feel like there's this unspoken expectation that says, you know, if we're a firefighter or a cop, you know, we're committed to service, we're committed to the people around us, you know, yeah, we're there to save you, yeah, we're heroes. But internally, I, I don't think any of us feel that way at all. And we don't know how to express stuff very well. I mean, we're, I had one of the guys on the show not too long ago that literally like at 16, he started riding fire trucks at 16. They ran a house fire, people inside trapped and burned up and the chief sat him down the car, pulled out a six pack of beer and says, okay, this is how you're going to solve it. You know, and no wonder he's an alcoholic later in life, right? Yeah, that's tough. Dude, that's the world, man. That's the world we live in. Yeah, that's uh, that's problematic. If people are, I mean, and I'm sure that's the exception, not the rule. I hope it is. But if those are the tools, the sort of the tools of the trade that you learn when you start the job, or yeah, just hit the gym extra hard tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, like okay, but that's a bandaid on a bullet hole, and that's very problematic because what happened? Not just that it doesn't work, but then people think, man. You know, I am having a drink with the guys and burning off some steam. I am hitting the gym. I am going for a run, but I still feel kind of shitty. Mm -hmm. 
something is wrong with me. And that's the dangerous part. Not like, hey, this tool's not working, I gotta find something else because you know, this isn't working for everyone, maybe we should research this. It's, this isn't working for me, but I sure as shit don't wanna be the guy that walks in and is like, I feel bad, right? Because maybe that's not the culture. It's absolutely not the culture. I mean, that's, and that's where I think we're finally, you know, we're just, I mean, we are, you know, this is partly why it's interesting to have you on the show because in this, in the entrepreneur space, right? I mean, it's like you and I hanging out at MMP in Park City, just kind of taking a break, sitting out on the balcony, bullshitting, right? In this, in this flip side of the world, there's a lot of advancement, a lot of development, a lot of openness around self-discovery, and what's happening and emotion and freedom around that. And that's that's becoming very much more mainstream than it used to be. But our audience, I mean, we're still antiquated. I mean, we're still in the dark ages when it comes to that stuff. Like we are just on the cusp of these conversations flowing out across the across these communities. Cause it is, it's, it is shut it down, shove it down, deal with it, um, suck it up, buttercup. I mean, those are the, that's the that's the training that's the conversation and i've said for years you know the only acceptable emotion in these worlds is anger right you can't be too happy you can't because then you're fucking off you can't be sad because then you're weak but you can be as angry as you want to be and i think that perpetuates it's like it's a self-perpetuating cycle we're dealing with constantly yeah the, the anger is an issue and i think a lot of guys just men in general have this as a default because we're not necessarily taught good emotional communication and a lot of us are less wired for that in a way mm -hmm. and then we lean on that and go oh we're a guy you know and so I, I don't know about you but my dad his default he's a great guy by the way just to clarify but he's his default communication when he's frustrated a little bit sad feeling a little bit stressed feeling a little bit rushed feeling like he is a little silly because he forgot something, he just goes and gets angry because he doesn't have the other channels, right? Like he doesn't have the other modes. It's like he's got red and white, right? Like they, and, and you're like, hey, color this in blue. And he's like, uh, red, right? He just can't do it. So there's fun dad and then there's like angry dad and then there's normal dad but there's not like sort of down today dad there's just really short temper and shorter temper and that's no that's sort of normal for for him his dad was the same way all the guys in our family are the same way and i'm fighting that all the time man you know, that's you just describe me to a t yeah really the majority of the time yeah yeah, it's uh, it's been difficult. I mean, I did the work with Elliot Road to kind of release the anger stuff, which really helps. It was crazy, you know, uh, on the hypnotherapy side. But it's it's difficult. And for me, what I've noticed is it's really driven by this sense of anxiety and anxiety around not being good enough for everybody around me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's problematic. But it's also Thanks. Very normal right. as well. If that makes sense, right? Oh so, yeah. Well, and that's and that is and that's kind of, right? That's the purpose behind some of this show is to kind of normalize this, this conversation that says, okay, that's yes, it's a problem. Yes, you know, it's an issue that needs attention, and you're not abnormal, right? You're not the only one feeling that way. And and I like that you said that it's it is a there's a, a big man issue there around it because it is. I mean, we weren't really, we're taught to be 
to create physical safety really well, we're not taught to create kind of emotional safety for the people around us at all in a lot that's, of ways. That's a good point. And additionally, I mean, even in addition to that, not only are you not taught to create psychological safety, it's not even prioritized. You don't, you're not even doing it for yourself, let alone for other people. It would be different if we were also self, if we were centered and grounded and, you know, felt good about ourselves and then it was just, oh, we're just sort of selfish as guys. It's like, no, we're not even creating that for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> let alone for other people. And you can't really create it for other people until you create it in yourself. You know, we, we think we're fooling everyone and, and our kids raising these kids and we're like, yeah, I just want my daughter to be confident. Yeah, I just want my son to be da da da. When they see your example and you think, oh, I'm putting on a brave face, okay, fine. But after like age seven, they can tell. Right. And then you yeah. spend 20 years being like, I'm faking it. It's like, no, your kids are like, yeah, my dad, you know, he doesn't really take care of himself. You know, he's always stressed out. We think we're putting on a brave face. And it's it's just so obvious because, you know, the cracks show, especially when they're sitting around at the dinner table and you blow up because they mentioned they didn't finish their project. And before they finish their sentence telling you that they get, got an extra week for it, you start talking about how they didn't get their work done, damn it, you know, and like, they're just, hold it, dad, we got an extension. Oh, you know, it's like that kind of thing, the cracks start to show, or when we massively overreact to something that they've done, and they realize that that isn't normal, or they see other people acting normal, or they're just like, why is this the case with my dad? Oh, you know, mom says it's something from work. Like, kids are smart. It's, it, there's, a, someone told me, uh, you have to be really careful when you have guns in the house, right? Because kids will get their hands on it. And the retort is always, no, I have a gun safe. And it's, did you know the combination to any of your parents' stuff when you were a kid? And the answer is, yeah, by age 11, 13, 15 years old. So the key isn't, don't let the kids have the combination to the gun safe. It's by the time they're obviously going to have figured out what that is, they know how to use a gun safely, right? That's the that's how you keep them safe. Oh, yeah. Not, not by telling that, not, not by deluding yourself that they have no idea how to get in there, because you use the same freaking safe code as you do on your iPhone. So when they Candy Crush, you're telling them the code, right? Like they they're onto you, buddy. You yeah, know? I knew where all my dad's stuff was. I'm yeah, at a very young age. Let me ask you a question. What have been uh, a couple of your favorite episodes of this year that you've done? I mean, as we're closing out 2019, kind of related to any of this stuff. What what do you what have you taken away from your experiences this year in all the, the shows that you've done? Yeah, I've done some really interesting ones in the past year, especially there's one with uh, Jack Barsky, who was an undercover KGB spy who came to America posing as an American. And he later decided that he loved America so much he was just going to stay here. And he, he ended up never getting caught up until recently, actually, well after the Soviet Union had fallen. Wow. And so that's a really interesting story. It just kind of shows that if, if you ever feel like, oh, man, this country's gone to hell in a handbasket, you know, it's nice to see somebody from the outside who's essentially one of our sworn enemies, you know, coming in and going, actually, this place is great for all these different reasons that I think a lot of people don't think about every day. Um, we had Admiral James Stavridis come on and talk about character. That's mm -hmm. a he's an interesting guy, because, of course, he's you know, that he was the NATO Supreme Allied Commander. So that's kind of a big deal to have somebody come on and talk about that sort of stuff from straight from the horse's mouth, you know, had a lot of opportunity to do bad things and, and didn't. <laughs> and, uh, man, we had a, a guy from catch me if you can, 
the the inspiration from Catch Me If You Can, that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, we had uh, Frank Abagnale come on and discuss the psychology behind some of the the cons and the imposter stuff that he was doing. And so the shows run a wide gamut. Even recently, we had General Robert Spaulding about how China is essentially looking to overtake America with technology, but also the spyware that's going in some of the electronics and how the Chinese Communist Party really does have it out for us. And it's very well documented. It's not a secret. We're kind of the only ones that are sleeping on. So we've done a lot of really great shows that show that both things are both going in the right direction, but also need to be maintained, right? Like we need to pay attention to the direction that we take our society and our country and ourselves, because all of those things are integral to maintaining democracy. Like we can't just work on self-development, but we also can't just be paranoid about everything around us. Like we really have to work on the whole picture. That's it's really, really crucial to do so. And if we don't, we risk our, our whole, our whole way of being. Yeah, man. And I think that's what I really enjoy about your show, you know, and again, part of the, my mission, I feel like bring people into my world that, you know, they may not, they may not listen to Jordan Harbinger. They may not know you exist because uh, it's kind of not in their bandwidth, being able to bring resources and tools to the table for the men and women out there that are doing their jobs every day. You know, you've got some phenomenal stuff out there that I know would make a difference in their life. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'd love that people are listening to podcasts more now. And if they're interested in this, then maybe they'll be interested in the Jordan Harbinger show. And I'm on social media at Jordan Harbinger on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. So I'd love to hear from everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Go thanks ahead. Sorry. Me on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate the opportunity. It's a lot of fun and talking with you is always fun. Yeah, man. Yeah, we just need to hang out more often. And clearly now I owe you a nice dinner. Uh, and I'm going to try to be in San Diego again while you're there. Uh, but and I'll make sure that all the the links are up on the show notes uh, that uh, all the links to your uh, one your podcast but then uh, jordanharbinger.com uh, your links to Instagram Facebook Twitter all the good stuff uh, and I know that you're a uh, I think sometimes we feel like people are untouchable or unreachable in the world <laughs> you know what I mean and I want my listeners to know that I know you're a pretty responsive guy and you know you offer a lot and you're really committed to. Uh, bring in a conversation to the table in a variety of ways that helps solve problems every day for people, you know, kind of the everyday. That's what I really appreciate about what you do. Well, thank you very much, man. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to everybody. And like I said, it's always fun to chat. So don't be a stranger. Hey, brother, I really appreciate you joining us today. All right. So that wraps up our show. And matter of fact, the last show of 2019. Happy New Year again. Jordan Harbinger, brother, thank you for giving us your time, coming on the show, uh, educating me and us, giving us your thoughts and your insights, and really a summary of everything that you've been able to accomplish over this last year. I appreciate it so, so much. I hope everybody had a great 2019, or at least you're still here. If you ask me, 2019 was uh, pretty much a shit show in a lot of ways, but a lot of great things came out of it, and I'm looking forward to an entire new year to really blow this thing up. So, a couple little things. One, we're going to continue with a Tuesday-Thursday podcast episode starting in 2020. For the month of January, we're going to be dealing with the operational pillar number two, mental acuity. Have some great guests lined up throughout the month. Really some phenomenal episodes, some great tools, lessons, and things to learn, and practical application. Please do me a favor. 
Keep sending me your notes, your feedback, your thoughts on what we're doing and how we're doing it, and if it's working for you or not. The last big thing is, I need your support in keeping this show up and running, keeping things moving, and in giving back to you. A lot of you have asked for more, for more depth, for training, for etc. And we got to figure out how to do that. So I put together your 100-day operational challenge. It's available at MindsetRadio.com or you can go to MindsetRadio.com backslash op your life. That's OP your life. It's a donation basis because this, the podcast is a part of the Operational Mindset Foundation. So there's some options to do that. And if for right now, for some reason, you want to take on the program and you just can't swing that donation, send me an email and we'll talk about it. I'm really looking forward to bringing people into that program. We're going to begin January 15th as a group. And after that, you'll be able to sign up any point in time and it'll run for you. Not a problem. So that'll be up and live starting January 15th. Make sure you get in, register early so that we can know who's coming in, get some things set up. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a freaking ball buster. But I promise you at the end of 100 days, there is gold at the end of that rainbow. So I look forward to you joining me. Thanks for listening. As always, do me a favor, share this podcast out, share it with those you work, those you love, those you like, and hell, even those you can't stand, maybe it'll shift some context for them. So thanks for giving me a great year, your time, your attention, your listening, and your feedback. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks to all the sponsors that stepped out this year and really supported us. Root Force, Elliot Rowe over at the Prime Mind app, Chief Miller Apparel, and all the others that just showed support across the board. I greatly appreciate it. I'm looking forward to having the conversation in the new year with you, bringing some new guests, some new tools, some new techniques, and some real practical application around some stuff. Again, don't forget, swingbyoutmindset.com. Check out the foundation. In 2020, we're going to be out on the road quite a bit teaching a lot of the programming that's out there. So if you want to bring something to your department, pop in, fill out the grant app, and let's get this party started. So it's all there and available for you. Let's really elevate the conversation of how we perform at the top of our game, mentally, physically, and emotionally in all aspects of our life for 2020. That's the mission. I hope you'll join me for it. That's it. Have a great, safe new year, and we will talk to you soon.